Okay, so before um, I dive in, so this is the third part on Bold. So we had the lovely Benita last week, who did an amazing job. I listened to the podcast. So if you guys haven't heard of our podcast, type in Imprint London on Spotify, Apple Music, and um, where else? Where else is that? Castbox, Google, and all of that. And you can listen to all of our sermon talks. And um, before I dive in, I actually want to start with a story. So I remember when I was in secondary school, and I'm a basketballer. I believe there's only one type of baller, and it's basketball. So I don't know what some of these guys do with their feet. Like, I don't believe that's actually a form of, that shouldn't be a sport, if I'm being honest. But, you know, um, I'll show some love to my football brothers. But something um, that, I, that used to happen, especially when I was in secondary school, is that they used to split us into different teams. And unfortunately, there were some times when I wasn't chosen to be the team captain. And that really annoyed me because, you know, if I'm team captain, it means I can choose exactly who can be on my team because I wanted the best chances of winning. But what used to happen that they used to choose some random guy to, to be team captain. And then the guy would obviously be like, okay, um, who do I want first on my team? And he'd be like, Wale. I'm like, yeah, of course, definitely, definitely, you know, you know, the real baller over here. And, um, and then something that honestly used to surprise me and put me to constant shock is that they would choose, he would choose a guy that his, he would choose a guy that he was probably very close to, like his best friend in school. But the issue is, is that this guy wasn't, you know, he wasn't a baller. He wasn't good at basketball. And that really angered me. And then every time this used to happen, and it meant that every time we used to lose. And I got really frustrated. And I was like, if it was me, if I was team captain, I would actually not choose that guy. Why are you choosing that guy based on friendship? Like, he's not a baller. He, he doesn't know how to play basketball. He should stick to football and leave it for the real people. You know, you know. You know, but I was really bitter. I was really bitter. But um, the reason I say this is because that guy chose someone who was an unlikely candidate. And even though I call myself a Christian, in that particular scenario, I wasn't probably um, reflecting an attribute of God, that he chooses people who are unlikely candidates. And if we look at the scenario of David in particular, with David, you know, his, um, the prophet Samuel basically came to the house of Jesse. And God told um, Samuel that there's going to be one person, one of um, Jesse's sons, that's going to be anointed king. So the Bible talks about how um, Samuel um, attended Jesse's house and basically said, could you line up your sons? So Jesse lined up all of his sons. And then when he saw the eldest son, he was like, wow, that guy, um, he looks good. He probably has amazing crepes. He probably had a fade. He, he looks the part. This guy looks like the next king of Israel. But the Lord basically said to Samuel that I do not choose based on appearance. I choose based on his heart. And then literally, Jesse, um, Samuel went through all of the sons and said, are these all of the candidates? Because the Lord did not highlight anyone in particular in that, in that lineup. And then what happened, um, Jesse, um, Jesse said, no, there's actually still one more son, but he's just out in the field tending the sheep. And we know that son is, well, for most of us, the son we know is David. And it's really ironic because, you know, David wasn't in that lineup. David wasn't a person that if everyone could bet their odds against him, they wouldn't have chosen. Because this was a guy that simply just used to tend the sheep. This was a guy who perhaps was very undervalued, was probably perhaps very overlooked by the rest of his family. 
And the reason why I say that is because, you know, for many of us, perhaps we are unlikely candidates and we might feel that we are overlooked by our mothers, um, by our fathers, by our friends, by our managers, um, even perhaps even our church leaders and our, our team leaders and stuff. And we feel like we're overlooked. We feel like, how come they don't see me? But the reality is that God sees you. And this is the same God that if God can literally take David from a field and anoint him to be king, you know, God can see you anywhere. So that really means that we don't need to be people that have to strive for a position or try to convince people that, you know, look at me, look, look at the anointing I carry, look at my gift and look at my talents. If God can literally bring someone from a field, someone from nowhere, then the same God can bring you from your situation into the places calling you to be. And even with like my story in terms of how I started leading um, Imprint Church, so I was leading Imprint Church Leicester and we planted into London a few months ago. But I remember I was an intern a few years ago for a great church called Holy Trinity Church Leicester. And um, I really felt that um, I had a lot of dreams about being a young church leader. And I didn't tell anyone because I thought it was ridiculous. And I just thought, you know what, I'm far too young to be a church leader. And I remember um, the vicar of Holy Trinity called me into his office. And he said, um, Wale, um, I've been praying about you. And I was like, okay, um, what's up? And he said to me, um, this might sound really weird, but I feel like God has asked our church community and the local diocese, which is the Ch Church of England in that area, um, to support you to start your own church. And he said, has God been speaking to you about it? And honestly, I just screamed. I was like, you know, he has, but I'm not going to do it. And it was like, why? And I was like, you know, I'm far too young. Like, are you ridiculous? You just asked, at the time I was 21 years old, I was like, you just asked a 21-year-old to lead a church. Like, are you ridiculous? And he was like, has God been speaking to you about it, though? And I said, honestly, he has. And something that, um, just looking back in hindsight and um, with that story, is that I don't think I would have ever told anyone those dreams that God told me. But it's so amazing that God actually spoke to someone else and said that this is the person I'm selecting. And the reason I share that is not to just shine a light on me, but it's to just share a picture of how God knows each of us individually. That honestly, we do not need to strive or we don't need to convince other people that God will prepare the way for us. And how do you know if God has called you to do something? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So God confirms it very often through visions through prophetic words through pictures i remember when i was a kid um my family used to say because my middle name is david and anytime i'll go to church i wear my suit and i'll grab my bible and i used to be like like i used to just follow um copy my parents in their prayers and stuff like that and i always used to go around saying i'm pastor david i'm pastor david i'm pastor david i'm pastor david and i remember being a kid um daydreaming yeah, <laughs> I remember being a kid, daydreaming, um, thinking, just daydreaming of one day um, being a pastor. And when I was a teenager, it was the last thing I wanted to do, so God really had to do a 360. But I remember being, yeah, being a kid, daydreaming about being a pastor. 
And now looking back, I was like, wow, God, were you speaking to me even at the age of five? Like, I just thought these were just, you know, uh, my imagination just running wild. But I didn't know that even at that little age, you were speaking to me. So there's things that God has spoken to us even at a little age that he's like, do you know what? This is actually what I'm calling you to do. So like I said, visions and prophetic words. Also, he speaks to us through circumstances. When David actually defeated Goliath, he says these amazing words. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. So basically, God prepared David and said that, in a sense, it, it, depends, it depends how you see it. God prepared David to actually defeat Goliath, where he can look back at his history and says, I've been equipped by killing the bear and the lion, and I can kill and I can overcome this giant that stands before me. And another thing that I would like to highlight is that very often God repeats himself. I find it really interesting that if you look at the story of Samuel, when he first heard the Lord's voice, it was only the third time that he actually said, um, God, I am, um, your servant is here, I am listening. It was only the third time. So if we were to take that as a principle, there's some things perhaps that have been repeated to ourselves that we're thinking, okay, like what is this? Um, is this of God? But there's a sense of God actually repeating, saying that, you know, this is what I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. So I just would like you to just think about what is that thing perhaps just comes back in repetition. But the thing is, why don't we believe these things? If God says something to us, if we have a vision, if perhaps someone shares a prophetic word, if perhaps we have a dream that's been inside of us since we were a little kid, why do we not believe it? And it's this annoying thing that talks to us, that talks to us at the back of our heads called insecurity. And if I was to define insecurity, it's this, uncertainty or anxiety about oneself, a lack of confidence. Insecurity says you can't do something because of who you are or what you produce. And honestly, if I was to put it bluntly, insecurity is idealistic in nature because it shifts the perspective from God and his capabilities to yours and your supposed inabilities. And often, because of insecurities, we don't see ourselves as the heirs of a living God but like Adam and Eve, ashamed of our humanity. And the Bible is filled with several of insecure people. If I was to give um, some examples, Moses was a stammerer. David was too young. Abraham and Sarah was too old. Naomi lost her husband and sons. Some of Jesus' disciples were uneducated and unexperienced. Matthew was a tax collector and hated by his people. Saul was too bad and Gideon was too weak. And I would like us to um, really go into Gideon's story. So let's turn to Judges chapter 6. Verse 11. Okay, when you're there, say amen. Amen. So let me give some context. So 
Um, in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Bible even talks about um, earlier in the chapter um, that they prepared shelters for themselves literally in, in caves of mountains. And the Midianites and the Amalekites will literally come and destroy all the crops that the Israelites um, had been growing. And literally what happened is that the Israelites cried out to God and like, God, we need help. We need to be rescued from this. So let's turn to verse 11. So it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Amisocite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of, Midi of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength you have and save and Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So often we can see, especially in the Bible, is that when a particular situation arise when a group of people are oppressed, when there's a need that needs to be met, or a deliverance or healing that needs to occur, that God will send his believers to be his hands and feet. And for example, this could involve prayer, the laying of hands to see people healed, sharing a prophetic word and encouragement through prophecy. And this is what God wanted Gideon to do. God wanted to use Gideon to liberate his people. But Gideon's response was that, God, I am too weak. I am too weak. And we have this belief, I feel like for some of us in particular, that we have this belief that if we present our insecurity to God, then it means automatically God will cancel our assignment. But that's not the case. So when I say, so when I say, God, you have put these things in my heart, I can see your vision, I can see your intent but I don't have enough money, the resources, the intellect, the experience, the anointing, the people power, the time, the strength, the skill set, or the wisdom to carry it out. God's response isn't, oh, don't worry about it, I completely understand. It's not his response. He says, go and pursue it. And I remember there was a particular time um, when um, I really felt like God was calling me to do something. And I literally said to God that, you know what, I have too many limitations to pursue this thing. I remember using that word limitations. And he said to me, because I had too many limitations, I was like, I'm not going to do this. And he said to me, just because you feel limited doesn't mean I, that you have to stop. When you feel limited, it means that you have to tap into me. And I remember him saying that it's never a good reason to, to stop pursuing your assignment just because of your own personal limitation. So what does this look like practically for us? For practically, when I heard the Lord say that to me, I was like, I can't run away from this thing. You know, this is what he has called me to do. 
it means that I have to spend more time with God. If I'm feeling limited, if I'm feeling pressure, it means that in my private time, I'll go and spend more time in prayer where I can seek his counsel, where I can seek his perspective in all things. And in his presence, he gives me revelation and he gives me knowledge. And things that seem impossible all of a sudden seem inevitable. And if we'll look at the situations of um, the Israelites, what did God respond to them when their insecurity was placed in front of them? So let's go to Numbers chapter 13. Verse 26. Okay, they came back to Moses and Aaron. So basically, um, the Israelites are sent out spies to go and look at the promised land. Um, and they sent out 12, and they were coming back with a report. So the Bible says, verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Then, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is, here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites in the hill country, and the Canaanites live there in the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored, explored devours those living in it. All the, people saw, all, all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Okay, let's go to Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices, wept aloud, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back. So the situation of the Israelites, their insecurity is that God had called them to go into the promised land. This was a prophetic word that literally they had stewarded over generations where the Lord said, there will be a land of promise for you, a land flowing of milk and honey. And when it actually came to pursuing the lands, where they sent 12 spies to Two of them came back with a report and said, you know, we can do this. The land is actually amazing like the Lord has promised us. But the rest of the ten spread out a bad report and said, you know, we can't do this. And, the, and they, said, uh, they said, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they basically saw themselves as we are too weak. We are too small to overtake these people. And for us, perhaps we don't see ourselves as talented enough resource, educated, we perhaps don't see ourselves having enough Bible knowledge, confidence, and confidence, and that 
and that perhaps disables us from actually taking a step of faith towards that thing, towards that, if we're to use the analogy of a promised land, it, it prevents us from actually taking that step. And, you know, with the rest of the ten who had a bad report, this is what happened. Because they didn't have enough belief in what could happen, that the Lord has actually called them to this, they went around spreading a bad report. And I don't know if you've ever been in situations like that, where perhaps someone in the room doesn't necessarily have faith for something, so they sow doubt into, into the rest of the um, community, into the rest of the friendship group in that particular session. And that's what happens when we live in disobedience. We go around spreading a bad report, getting people to agree with you, to validate your position. And in the process of this, we actually disempower people and their faith. And like an old friend once told me, just because you have numbers doesn't mean you're right. For the Israelites, the only logical answer for them was to stay where they are or, or to go back to Egypt. And perhaps for some of us, that's how we feel. Like it's either that I stay where I am, I stay stagnant, or I go back to the thing I'm familiar with. And I just think it'll be interesting if we look at God's response to the Israelites. So let's go to Numbers 14, verse 10. It says, But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord... Is that the right part? Yeah. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long would they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? So this is basically God's response to them. That the Israelites, you know, they presented something that seemed like a logical insecurity. They were like, we are not strong enough to overcome these people. You know, it makes sense. They are giants. But God responds, how long would my people treat me with contempt? And if we were to look at the word contempt, it means like, how long would they not take me seriously? That every time we place our insecurity above what God has called us, essentially, we're treating God's words in contempt by refusing what he, he has said. And he was basically saying that my people should believe me because I have been faithful in the past. How come you can't believe me for the future? And um, I remember um, growing up, um, there's something that used to, I used to have a really funny altercation with my mom where um, I'll literally say the words, oh, mom, you must be kidding. And she'd be like, what? What, what, what do you mean I'm a kidder? Like... <laughs> And she'll be like, so, so you're now calling me a joker. And I was like, I never said that. And she's like, so you're now calling me a liar. And I was like, what? And I was like, mom, honestly, it's not that deep. And she'll be like, so now I'm not deep. <laughs> and I was like, mom, honestly, like you're over-exaggerating. So now I'm over-exaggerating. And I was like, okay, do you know what? And I literally tried to end the situation. And I'm like, mom, honestly, it's not that deep. She was like, so I'm not deep, so I'm not intelligent, so I didn't go to school. And I'm like, okay, wow. <laughs> but it is comical because, you know, I'll literally just say, like, mom, you must be kidding. But she just, she saw it as a way of I'm treating her worse in contempt. And even though that was an exaggerated example, 
sometimes when we actually, when God has given us assignment, when God has given us a dream, when we've received a prophetic word, when we act passive and do not take steps towards those words, we are literally treating those words in contempt. And often to validate our opposition, to validate our belief, we might even like what the Israelites did, some of them go around spreading a bad report. And I just want to say, what are some of the implications if we sit passively on a word that God has given us? And the implications for the um, Israelites is that that particular generation did not enter the promised land. And a journey that should have taken 40 days took 40 years. And it was the kids that inherited the promised land. And I just want to share quickly, how do we steward a word that God has given us? And I'll say it's this, that we take the word seriously with humility. And the more that we trust God's word, the more he will add to us, the deeper the revelation. I find it fascinating that the first words that Jesus ever said to Peter was, come follow me. And I don't think Peter would have known in that instant that God, that Jesus would use him to be one of the founders of the early church. But what Peter did is that he was obedient in the first call. And I think that's what it is. If we're talking about boldness, boldness is not necessarily someone who doesn't have to, who doesn't have insecurity. But boldness is someone who doesn't allow their insecurity to overshadow the call that God has given them. And for us, in our day-to-day life, it will look like small steps of obedience. And I remember um, watching an interview by Brooke, the lady who um, wrote, what did she write? Um, What a beautiful name. And she leads Hillsong Worship. And someone said to her, you have won so many Grammys, you know, your songs are being sung all over the world in so many different churches. You're like, what would you say to a young person who's trying to pursue their dreams? And she just took a deep breath and she said, I'll tell them not to pursue their dreams, but to follow God's dreams. And the reality is you can't outdream God. And I've realized that, that God has so many bigger dreams than I could ever anticipate. And sometimes when God shares his dreams with me, when he shares his heart with me, insecurities start rising up where I'm like, you know what, I'm too limited. I can't do that. I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. And the Lord constantly says to me, but will you still do it anyway? And my challenge is to you is that whatever your insecurity is, will you allow it to to stop you? Or will we be a community, will we be a generation where we literally say that, you know, despite on how I feel, I'm still going to pursue what God has called me to do. I remember um, a great mentor saying to me that, Emotions are a great indicator, but they're a terrible master. And for some of us, we've been allowing how we feel our emotions with certain situations to dictate where we should go next. And I just want to encourage us to just say, do you know what, despite how I feel, I'm going to go back and spend time with God, and I'm going to gain clarity on what you call me to do. And in his presence, he adds revelation. And in his presence, he adds knowledge. And in his presence, he adds faith as well.